Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 109, recorded on May 22nd of 2020. This is the Photo Geekery show where uh, I'm your host, Don Kamarechka, and we dig through some of the news uh, of the uh, of the week of, in the photographic industry, whether it be new technology, uh, legal ramifications, uh, you know, things that just maybe they sit perfectly well with us and we want to sing it from the rooftops or it doesn't and we want to make everybody aware of it. There's so many of these topics that are coming up even now uh, as the world is in some very interesting times. And uh, to discuss the topics of the day or of the week with me is a longtime friend, colleague, uh, and uh, all around good guy. He's the guy that bought me a propeller hat way back when, (laughs) when he threw his own expo and made me do a presentation wearing that thing. I still have it, by the way. Uh, Nice. I I don't know exactly where it is. It it should be within arm's reach because I usually just put it on when I'm talking technical. (laughs) But here we have in the co-pilot seat today, Brian Weiss. Brian, how you doing, man? Excellent, sir. Thank you, Don, for having me on again. That was so funny. And no, I didn't force you to wear it, but you were you were more than happy to. So that well, was you just... presented it to me right when I was about to talk. I mean, there was a certain inference there. <laughs> true, true. OK, I kind of put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. um, but we had fun with that. And uh, so I, I should uh, mention a few things. I mean, you uh, you run the day tripper photo community, although you're not doing any day trips this year. Unfortunately, uh, and uh, you are a Henry's employee doing multiple roles. Uh, you were, I believe, uh, an assistant manager at the Newmarket Henry store. Oh, I've done just about everything. For about four months, I was the manager of the store. And for a year, I was the assistant manager. Um, there's a lot of uh, change that goes on within the retail world. And I love the company, so I'll ebb and flow with it. Currently, I am the online chat associate. So that was a, a big shock. Henry's, I don't know if you know uh, the, the history, but they closed on the 17th of March, all the retail locations for obvious reasons. And Henry's is one of the largest camera store chains in Canada for those that might be south of the border here. They had 29 stores at the time. And through the losses that were incurred from being closed, they've had to close seven of those permanently, which is a real shame. Um, and thankfully, about a week after they closed the stores on the 17th, they gave me a phone call and asked if I would do the online chat for them. I don't know why they asked me, but I'm thankful because it gave me something to do, <laughs> which was awesome. So yeah, since then, March 30th, I've been doing the online chat and it's pretty interesting. That must be a challenge though, because I'm sure in some cases it's a really cut and dry, simple, you give somebody the exact answer that they're looking for. They say, thank you. And they move on. Yeah. Um, which, if that was every single case, I'm sure you would never stop smiling. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean for you to uh, to talk about any specifics, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there are people that are clueless about very technical, complex things and want a simple answer to those problems, but no such simple answer exists, whether oh. you're on the phone or in a chat or in person. Um, and the so level true. of education required to get them to where they need to be is not... Uh, the level of sponginess that they have in order to absorb that information. For sure that happens, but it's nice though. I mean, all it takes is good communication is what I found. Being able to explain the honest answers um, in a very layman's termsy kind of way. It's kind of my vibe is to be very layman's terms. You know me, Don, I'm not very engineering. Yeah, I've never really been very uh, engineering in my thinking, so... For me, it's it's more how do I make how do I understand this myself, and then I will try and help them understand the same way. Whether it's policies, shipping problems, or like you say, just a, a disconnect in understanding the the technology. Either way, it's fun, 
The problem comes when you have 100 chats in a single shift. And at the end of it, you feel like your brain is fractured in 12 different ways because you're helping yeah. completely different things. Some of them are easy and some of them are very technical, helping people choose their gear for live streaming. And then the next thing you know, I'm trying to show somebody an ink cartridge. And then, you know, you have all the questions about shipping dates and so on and so forth. Uh, you know what? It's all good. It's all good. I, I work for a company that is extremely careful to make their customers number one, uh, even in extremely difficult times. And I know it can come across sometimes for the customers as they're not helping, but that's just because there's no people like social distancing rules in the warehouse. You have to stay so far apart from everybody. They yeah. can't have the same number of people. There's more online traffic now than the busiest Christmas season. And they have way fewer people with all these rules in place. And they, they got bogged down, you know, and, and that's the, that was the biggest stressor through this whole thing was just helping customers understand the reason why things may be taking longer or so on and so forth. Yeah. And I think that most retailers that have an online infrastructure designed their warehouses around close contact. Uh, it is not true. just camera stores. It's just about everybody. Yeah. For sure. I was trying they didn't to buy- know anything else. Yeah, I was trying to buy some seeds for the garden. Uh, and uh, there was like a three-week delay on them shipping the order out because they just weren't set up to to be far apart in that right. environment. And apparently everybody was going uh, apocalyptical and buying all of the seeds to grow their own food. Mm-hmm. But um, that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> before well, we the get same into- thing with, uh, with all the people for streaming. Everybody now has to make a living online. So yeah. that was the biggest problem need for my customers and of course we sold out of that immediately because we didn't really have that stock to begin with we weren't expecting everybody you weren't i'm sure henry's would sell webcams uh but not but not in huge volumes right distributors Uh, are a little difficult for webcam but getting people hooked up with the switchers and the s the mirrorless cameras and so on and so forth that's where it become became a problem yeah now uh you don't have to answer this but has anybody accused you in the chat of being a robot I've had it twice. I've actually been called a racist, which really bothered me. Wow. I let loose on that one. But uh, yeah, no, I, I had people ask me twice. I know you and I have talked about it and you give a, you give a, a mathematical equation, don't you? To find well, out. <laughs> well, I would fail. One guy. I would be like, uh, no, dude, I'm a human and I'm proving that by not answering this question. <laughs> the, the, the guy on the other line was giving me canned responses. And mm. I understand that he might be talking to 10 people at the same time. And I came up with something. I forget exactly what it was, but I said, take these numbers um, and uh, reply with the odd numbers in descending order. <laughs> I'd be so lost. <laughs> and, and he did. And so I guess awesome. maybe there's a robot in control unless something happens and then a human took over in that instance. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure what sophisticated technology there was there, but it put me in my place. There's, uh, It's either a super intelligent robot and then I bow down to my robot overlords uh, <laughs> or there was a human jumping around from robot suit to robot suit. Well, I can tell you, at least in the Henry's experience, it's all human. There's only two of us. Um, They didn't even have this as an option before COVID. It's something that they said, our customers need to have some sort of, you know, face to talk to, some sort of frontline person to talk to. Uh, Let's reach out and see who we think can do the thing. And next thing you know, there's me and John from Manitoba doing it. So, All right. Well, good guys helping people buy their camera stuff. Trying our best. Trying your best. Uh, let's talk about some of the new news that's come across this week. Cool. Um, and uh, our first story is on DP Review. Uh, Sony's new, quote, intelligent vision sensor is the world's first feature on-chip AI processing. 
which, uh, I mean, sounds lofty, uh, the, the words that they used. Did, did you watch the video at the beginning I of this did. article, Brian? I sure did. did. Did it feel to you like this is the kind of video that might play in the background on a TV at the beginning of a dysto- uh, dystopian horror movie? Totally, totally. This is future generation. We need to make sure we integrate all things, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and then the robots <laughs> take over and, you know, it, it's, it, it, it totally... They, I, I think that their video has the wrong tone and the wrong verbiage, and and, and it wrong. doesn't answer the questions to what this is really going to do. Well, like exactly. They even say so, themselves, it's beyond our current imagination. So they're <laughs> they're planning technology that we're going to be fully utilizing maybe ten twenty years from now, or maybe next week. Who knows? So. Uh, what it is is basically is a processor attached to the sensor itself. It doesn't have to go to an external unit in order to understand some things such as, you know, how many people are in the photo. If there's a dog in the photograph, you know, what the image contains and possibly keywording the information as it goes out from the sensor itself before it hits um, a, a secondary processor, the main processor that then would normally be what deals with all of the flow of information. And so, um, you know, the sensor would obviously in every modern current camera that we have, uh, would not just give, uh, the, the, the raw data in terms of the actual bits. It's going to, uh, respond with specific, uh, settings that the camera might've been set to like it's ISO setting and so on and so forth. There's additional metadata that carries along with the sensor to then be processed. Um, what that's all very photocentric. That's all geared toward just the photography end of what you're doing. Exactly. So now you're building an AI logic chip uh, into uh, into the main uh, processor so that extra information carries on forward. Now, the real goal here uh, is, uh, from, from what I can tell, embedded systems where there will not be a secondary chip. So you're offloading video directly to a memory card controller, and you need additional information to go along with that so that you don't have a more expensive product. Um, which could be revolutionary in a sense, because then you would have products that come into existence that otherwise wouldn't exist due to cost, right? Um, you know, like, I'm not sure how much expense goes into uh, like a, a nanny cam stuffed into a teddy bear's eye. Um, but that would probably be a very low cost uh, imaging system in that kind of establishment. But what but if it would it also do- feed back a lot of other information that's useful in that scenario, because they in that say- scenario. That it, the meaning and the info from what the light in front of it is what it's capturing. So it's not just capturing the data from the camera, but it's capturing, like you said earlier, the meaning, the shape of what's in front of it and identifying that as this and then locating where it is and all this other information is being sent immediately. Yeah. Uh, and and so what if it says it detects a person uh, at your house without having to have a much more complex, robust uh, infrastructure of additional processors and so on and so forth within and webcams that. webcams and cameras uh, and streaming services. Those products could become less expensive uh, or um, they could augment the information that they are collecting and, uh, and do things better. But again, we don't know exactly how that could be used. Um, this is more of like... Um, uh, a long time ago, you used to have so many separate chips inside of a computer. You had the CPU, then you had the North Bridge, which connected the CPU to the memory, and then the South Bridge, which connected it to the IDE hard drives and so on and so forth. And all these different chips and many other uh, little bits and pieces all connected together and all fed in. And now we have what we call system on a chip. 
It's all bundled together all in one uh, so that you only need the one product. Everything is cohesive. The engineering costs go down uh, and the product gets smaller and cheaper. Uh, and so I think that's what this is most uh, akin to in the camera space. Do you agree? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, they're talking about it as industrial applications. Um, they're, they're talking about it being reducing data size, which is interesting. Well, not, I, I not, would assume that's what I wanted to ask you about. They say that it's reduced data size. So file sizes are smaller. Therefore, you can store more data on existing drive. Is that kind of where they're going with that? Uh, I tried to decipher that, uh, but they don't really explain why. Yeah. Um, I I would imagine that if everything is being processed on the chip, then there's no raw data output, right? So that would be a smaller file size if everything is a JPEG. Um, maybe they are doing a higher compression on that because they're receiving the information, interpreting the information to give you all sorts of additional information, and then compressing it on the output before that potential to learn that information is lost. Um, there's a couple of ways you can slice that. They don't have to make it smaller. That's the real kicker here. Um, and uh, it, maybe it makes it so that it can be transmitted over Wi-Fi at a lower bandwidth yep. or uh, maybe a device that could be integrated with uh, Bluetooth low energy or other things uh, where the overall energy requirements and data throughput are much lower and thereby new technologies for transferring that information become available. So uh, well, it'll does be this interesting. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll talk again 10 years from now and see if this is something that's being used on everything and see how impactful I, it was. I honestly don't think it's going to affect our consumer cameras, uh, even though I made this the headlining story. It's just because it's brand new tech. Um, because inside of every one of our cameras, there is going to be a dedicated high quality image uh, processor. And right now they're already handling uh, things like uh, facial recognition of pets. And so they're, they're, that AI level of integration is understanding all of these different elements and more with these secondary processors that will get better uh, and are probably easier to program. Uh, they're more powerful at the very least. So well, who knows? Maybe for, would, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say uh, for our consumer products that are so inherently dependent on that secondary processor, uh, I think that that's always going to be a separation, okay. but um, smartphones could, uh, if you have a, a cell phone uh, sensor that has this information built in, it could reduce battery life, which we all want more battery life, right? It, it could do things that improve the performance in that scenario, um, but to what end? Well, who knows what customers Sony is going to get with this sensor. Sony mm. has, I don't know if every imaging uh, company is buying stuff from Sony, but I will say with some confidence, the majority of them are. Yep. Uh, I know Canon makes their own and, and, and there are other players in this space, but Sony's the biggest. Yep. And so if they bring a new product like this to market, it will find its niche. Sure, sure. And who knows, maybe it'll help on cell phones to, you know, recognize people that were beaten. Or <laughs> there's a segue for you, Brian. That <laughs> you goes ever heard in, one? <laughs> that goes into story number two, which I will uh, say the source and the title, and then I want your uh, I, I want you to describe what this is all about here first. Uh, so, from uh, reported on F Stoppers, photographer beaten by police multiple times and charged after photographing them enforcing coronavirus lockdown. Caveat: This is not in North America. This is in South Africa, um, but. That aside, uh, take it away, Brian. What what happened here, and what do you think? Humans were humans. Take it <laughs> away, Don. <laughs> okay, no, uh, here's, here's my take on it. Um, when you are 
in a situation, you're, you're a news reporter. And this gentleman, was he owned his own news station. He was a one-man show or he had a couple of people, I'm not quite sure. But it was a smaller local news agency and he was reporting on the situation and, apparently- and he had credentials to be out in oh, sure. uh, in the pandemic. He, they, they have, uh, and I didn't look into the specifics, but you have to have specific paperwork, a license, if you will, to be out uh, on so, the street as he was. And he had that. There's legal, and then there's antagonizing. Now, I wasn't there, but I do know that what happened was um, apparently the army people, the, the police, made a comment about the guy's mother. And the guy didn't like that and approached them and started something. And that's when things went bad. So I'm not saying that it should have gone bad. And I'm certainly not saying that because that would be stupid. Um, the bottom line is if I were reporting, if I were a photographer and I was down in Toronto taking pictures during a, a huge riot situation, like G20 when they had the summit there and there was all these kerfuffles going on or whatever it was. Um, and a cop started yelling at me. I'd be like, sorry. And I would walk away. Yeah, but but it says, and I'll, I'll read the, uh, I was just finding the sentence here. According to rep- uh, reports, um, one of the officers yelled something offensive about his mother at him, mm-hmm. prompting him to approach them. When he did, the four officers, uh, officers proceeded, four officers, by the way, uh, to physically assault him and claim that he was not authorized to take photos of them. Now, if somebody gives a, a mom insult to me, I'm going to say, wait a minute, what did you say? And we don't know if they said, well, come closer to hear it again. And he walks towards him. And then they, there's so much of an unknown interaction there. There really is. Uh, there's also an unknown in the social dynamic, though. If we were to yeah, have well, that happen in Toronto, I don't know if you'd get the same response as you would if you were in South Africa. I'm not there. I don't know how things are handled. But I do know once you understand what a human's capable of, nothing they do should surprise you. And right. this kind of thing isn't surprising. It's happened year after year after year, event after event after event. I'm surprised we haven't heard more about it. I'm not condoning it at yeah. all, uh, but Paul it doesn't Na- surprise me. Right. Uh, Paul Nathoba, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, uh, was then charged with obstructing law enforcement, which carries a penalty uh, of a fine of up to six months in prison. Um, and uh, in turn, he went to the Fixburg police station to file a complaint. And initially, this is where things start to get iffy. Uh, the officers refused to give him a complaint form. But he did eventually eventually get one when a retired off- officer who was his friend advocated for it. There you go. And while he was giving his statement, the same officers arrived and proceeded to attempt to take his phone again and beat him when he resisted. And that's just a bunch of jerks doing jerk things. Yes. Um, and now, it would be interesting to see what the, the law enforcement people there do about that. Well, it says a senior officer was there and witnessed the second incident, uh, told him that he should not have photographed the officers, well, which that's again, a, that's now, a cultural thing. That's, that's well, something they have to fix in their culture. I, and I don't claim to know what their culture is, but this guy has a license to be out documenting the happenings in the pandemic, uh, of which often, at least in North America, I don't claim to know what South African laws are in this regard. If anybody's listening to this that might know more, know. please chime in and I can do um, uh, an addendum in a future episode. But uh, at least in North American contexts, uh, if I want to document what the police are doing, 
for good or for bad. Um, that's a stand-up job as a photojournalist. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to see a police officer, you know, saving somebody from a burning car because the fire department is two minutes behind and that person doesn't have that time and you happen to to be there uh, and, and they're, you know, doing this, you document it and, uh, and you show them as a hero. Conversely, uh, there are police officers that routinely, uh, you know, go beyond their expectations in a negative way. Uh, and there's all sorts of issues with police brutality within the United States, and I'm sure Canada as well. I don't mm-hmm, keep up mm-hmm. with all the stories of it, but I know it's prevalent. It's a um, human thing. And uh, ego. A lot of it is ego. You know yeah, is. exactly. But. You know, and so they, they've got um, uh, an advocate group um, that is uh, that is fighting for him, and I'm really hopeful that that this uh, this journalist uh, gets out without any uh, any time or mm. a fine. The committee to protect journalists, um, Africa program coordinator Angela Quintal said. Uh, authorities must do the right thing and immediately drop the charges against him, um, uh, who was insulted and gratuitously assaulted uh, by the police for simply chronicling, chronicling them at work. And uh, again, here in North America, we would find that commonplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, when police officers uh, take arms against journalists doing that, uh, the journalists always end up with a tidy settlement yep. uh, from the police department. Well, this um, was my next question to you on this what if this journalist wasn't a local person but an american journalist do you think Uh, he would have had the same response do you think maybe uh, again please don't get me wrong i'm not trying to defend the situation i'm just trying to see it from different sides do you think maybe because it's a local journalist this journalist had issues with that officer in the past and there might have been it's another unknown uh you you never know if they've had a previous encounter that is not detailed within this particular story so there's so many Uh, variables that are playing out here and my biggest thing would be what if it was an american or a foreign journalist in the same situation would they have reacted the same way to them yeah well and if if you take that perspective uh your idea of how much we don't know is almost more valuable if not the same value as what we do know and it, it is a photojournalist's job uh, to narrow things down to the meaningful story, which means excluding meaningful information all around them to tell mm-hmm. one specific story. And whether or not that has bias uh, is always up to discussion because, yes, a photojournalist, and we have the rules of ethics with editing images and, uh, and, and so on, but they get to choose their focal length. They get to choose where the camera's pointed. And if they choose to exclude something or choose a moment that makes somebody look better or worse because of their own interests, mm-hmm. that's always been a part of the job uh, to be unbiased as best as you can. But as we know, uh, people are people and uh, everybody has their biases and some people just can't drop them. So uh, again, and it could have gone either way. It could be the there, so much the, unknown toward the police and the police toward the reporter. But uh, what, what I did want to boil this down to is that I'm glad that we have people out there uh, that are documenting the pandemic with cameras because sure. th- this is such a valuable thing where we see these frontline workers uh, and we see uh, the, the strife, we see the heroes, we see the people behind windows, uh, we see the people on ventilators, we see everything else. These Sometimes these photos are taken by um, family members or uh, medical staff and so on. Uh, sometimes they're taken by photojournalists that have to go out there and tell these stories. Um, and I think that that 
plays a stronger emotional chord in me than just reading about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think it does for a lot of other people as well. And so those images, uh, I hope in some way, make this whole thing feel more real to people. I agree. That's well said. And in yep. fact, um, one of the things that I just really get struck with, and the first thing I thought was, as soon as all this stuff started happening and Henry's closed and I came home, the first thing I thought is, how many movies are going to be made about this? How many different angles are there going to be? There's going to be billions of different personal stories and triumphs and issues that are going to come out after this. We're going to be having more content for culture <laughs> for the next forever now because of this craziness that's going on. Uh, I just hope, like you're saying, that they're, the journalists are telling the right story. And uh, it's good that there are watchdogs out there keeping their eyes out and making sure that the journalist hopefully will be look, you know, defended in some way at least. Yeah. Because if it was just the police doing all this and the journalist was just, you know, getting the crap beat out of them, then yeah, something has to be done. Either way, something has to be done. But at least then it's like, okay, the cops need to change there. But if we find out the full story, we find out that there were some other hidden behind the scenes things we didn't know about, then yes, it still needs to change. But at least we have some sort of different understanding as to how it started in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you look at the the cinema that uh, whether it be movies or TV shows, uh, we've been watching a number of series recently and um they'll often show crowds tightly packed restaurants bustling streets and so on and so forth because they were recorded in 2019 or prior Mm -hmm. and i'm just curious how the portrayal of society in fictional dramas and sci-fi and so many other things uh, will change in the future uh, to reflect the times that we're in right now. People more commonly wearing masks, greater spaces between people, even main actors having a greater distance between them because that might feel more comfortable to people right now. Um, th- there, I think there might be a paradigm shift in, uh, in the way that uh, interaction, human interaction is portrayed uh, in a public setting in a lot of Absolutely. those upcoming shows when filming does resume. So well, even if you look at shows like American Idol, I don't know if you caught that. Um, no, I didn't. American I'm, Idol this year, it basically, as soon as the pandemic hit, they started getting the top 10 or whatever it was doing their performances from home. So they yeah. sent them all these ring lights and they sent them microphones and they set up their, their living room and their family was watching them and they did their performance like that. And of course, you know, Ryan Seacrest was home and everybody was home. Their hairs were getting, their hair was getting all long and bushy and it was awesome. Uh, I think that's the way it should go. Why pay for all the production of a studio and all the, we're, go- <laughs> we're going back to eighties hair, man, make it big. Right? <laughs> Love but, it. Um, I wish I could go back to eighties hair. Let's not go there. <laughs> uh, there's a reason why you're wearing a hat, but, yes. uh, the uh, uh, the idea is uh, is interesting because you see all of the uh, late night news comedy uh, people, which I love to watch, uh, Stephen Colbert and uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon and uh, Trevor Noah, etc. It's all from um, home now. And they're all doing it from home. And, and there's some pretty interesting shticks that they come up with. And it's all forgivable. If yep. the video quality is a little shaky, if the audio is a bit off, because uh, life at home is usually life with kids uh, for a lot of people, uh, then, yeah, a lot can be forgiven. And but so, it's also adding so much of a different dimension. You know I watch wrestling. You know I'm a wrestling photographer. I shoot pro wrestling yeah, yeah. stuff. If you watch wrestling today, it's all, you know, no crowds in the stadiums. They're, they're doing it in a smaller venue. There's no crowds. Um, they had WrestleMania without crowds. The entire WrestleMania for the first time, there was no 90,000 people, you know, and they're, they're doing, 
uh, well, every sport that's, that's restarting right now, yeah, uh, they're starting them up without crowds. Now, I would uh, argue that wrestling is much more contact on contact, and I would hope that they're doing some testing. Um, oh, they uh, have their, all their beforehand. people are all like secluded together. They're, they've actually Vince McMahon had them deemed an essential service in Florida, so that well, that's still- that's. Florida man for you. Uh, <laughs> well, his wife is also part of the Trump administration, so that helps too. And uh, Donald well. Trump is also in the WWE Hall of Fame. Let's which... move on from that. Uh, <laughs> and let's talk about the next story. Oh, uh, DP Review is reporting that Adobe updates Creative Cloud video and audio apps. Uh, and this adds GPU accelerated encoding and ProRes RAW support and more. This is something I have been sorely waiting for. Okay, now uh, I'm going to let you talk about that because the ProRes RAW and things like that, I'm not so savvy on. What I got excited about was the content-aware clone for video. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool too. So I'll let you talk on that. But um, So uh, ProRes RAW is something, uh, it's, it's like a unicorn for somebody that uh, is on a Windows machine. It's just you could never do it. And now uh, Adobe uh, has the ability in Premiere Pro to do it after Apple, I'm sure they're working closely with Apple, uh, had rolled out the functionality in a beta plugin. Uh, I believe either earlier this month or last month, uh, which basically set the foundation for Adobe and other platforms to be adopting this. Um, and so I got excited because I'm, I'm sponsored by Panasonic. So I've had access to the beta firmware um, that has, it's not perfect, obviously it's beta. Uh, so there might be some rare scenarios where things don't work exactly as they should. Uh, but I was testing it. And I've got a, uh, an Atmos Ninja V, um, and uh, you need both of those things with a Lumix S1H to, uh, to shoot ProRes RAW on, mm-hmm. on that uh, camera. And I was out in the garden shooting some uh, bees fluttering about and some ants and things like that. And it was fun, and I was able to review the footage on the uh, Ninja V, and I was excited to come back on the computer and see what I could do with color grading or adjusting that compared to similar clips that I had shot um, as uh, as just a static, uh, you know, MOV file. And I was immediately met with another layer of frustration. Um, apparently, in order for this all to work, not only do I need to have special access to uh, beta firmware from both uh, Panasonic and Atomos and update to the latest version of Premiere, I have to have an NVIDIA GPU in order to make this all work. And I have a very high-end AMD Radeon uh, graphics card in my computer. It's more than capable of doing it. They have not coded this for AMD GPUs, which seems so odd because Apple is in bed with AMD when it comes to providing their GPUs Hmm. on all of their... Uh, high-end Mac Pros and everything. It's all AMD hardware in there. And that's the kind of uh, machine that you would be buying to process ProRes RAW. So it has to exist somehow. And this is just me being bitter, saying get off my lawn and just kind of kicking a stone because that's all I can really do at this point uh, because I still can't still can't have my cake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Unless you go is- out and you spend you know, 10 grand on a new Mac. Well, no, I mean, I can buy like even just a low end, a cheap NVIDIA GPU, which might cost me, what, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, something like that, uh, just to have the functionality of this actually being able to work. Um, but it's the principle of the thing. I'm not I'm not going to do that unless, uh, you know, if a, if a client comes to me and says, Don, you have to shoot ProRes RAW. Uh, we need you to call footage. We need you to do this and that without just sending it all off. Um, then, yeah, that's a step that I'd have to, to take, but I would build the cost of it as a line item uh, in that project. 
right? But so I shouldn't in, have to do that. In this case, does this new um, addition to the Creative Cloud allow you to do that? Or can you still not do it because of your video yeah. I could do it if I had the right hardware, and I need that NVIDIA GPU in order to make this happen. So uh, as a side note, Panasonic has announced that uh, version 2.0 of the firmware for um, the Lumix S1H will not include the ProRes RAW. That's going to be coming soon after. There's no date for it yet, but they, I guess, at the very uh, end stages uh, had uh, you know, discovered some, some issue uh, that just required fixing, uh, but... It, if they discover it's so late in the game and they're going to release the firmware on Monday, um, they had to announce today on Friday that, Hey guys, you know, we can't fix this in time uh, for the weekend to have it roll out on Monday. So uh, we'll get it to you soon. And that that's fine. I'm, I'm sure it'll be great. There's also like other great stuff um, that is added into the new firmware, including like 5.9 downscaling to HDMI to 4k. Um, which just gives you a much better 4K signal uh, at the end of it as well. So there's wonderful things that went into that uh, and more to come, but I am just, um, I don't want to say incensed, but annoyed, uh, to put it politely. Yeah, yeah that, that I can't do that. But you mentioned uh, another feature uh, in, uh, uh, in, in these updates, content-aware fill for video. Yeah, man, I mean, this th- is this something... Is, even just on a simple level, Brian... You get a dust spot in your video footage. It was painful to fix because you'd have to like if it was on a plot of blue sky, that's fine. But if it's interacting with complex subjects, then you would maybe uh, do a spot clone from one spot to another and try to cover it up for a little bit. But that's always moving and that might not be applicable. And so you might even have to go frame by frame to fix it. Um, And that was an annoyance that I never wanted to have to deal with. So whenever I was shooting video, I'd clean my camera sensor every time hmm. before I went to shoot. Um, now I might get lazy because I can. Well, then that's, you know, that, that's I'm going to talk about that later when I talk about my pick. <laughs> All right. About the being lazy because you can thing. Um, but it's true. It's true. It really gives you an out that that is super helpful. The example they showed on the video was a, a person walking down the beach with the shadow. Uh, you basically just draw a line around that whole area. And the algorithm will track the motion for the scene and clone out the person with the shadow. And all you see is a little ripple in the sand. You barely even notice it. So, Well, that, that's actually easier to do in video than it is in stills based on the information that you have. Because if the person is moving, it's like you have... 24 frames a second. That's true. That's what you were shooting at. Um, And so you have hundreds of frames where the information you want to be gone can be removed from, but also in exactly that same location where you have the information that you want to come through is there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So from one frame to the next, that information is popping back up. Exactly. So from an algorithmic standpoint, I'm sure it's complex, um, but you're not making up as much information doing that. uh, So it would look more realistic on video. Mm -hmm. I remember but it hasn't I, been done yet, so that's like awesome. Yeah, no, this is great. Uh, and there was a documentary that I had shot for a few years ago, uh, and I had to do focus stacking uh, of the subject, but then have it rotate. And, oh, jeez. And oh. so I would do like a 100-image focus stack of the subject and then rotate it one degree and do it again and again and again. And uh, the Cognosys stack shot has a rotational rail, and their X3 platform is great for controlling and figuring all this out. Um, but invariably, in any focus stack, there's going to be some artifacts of some kind. 
And so uh, there's no way to fix them on one image that looks perfect and fix them on another image that looks perfect and have them match up from that image to the next and have them flow perfectly across the way. So I just left those artifacts in um, because uh, I could just batch stuff and Helicon focus and and it was good enough for the documentary. Um, And the artifacts, honestly, I I would be pixel peeping to find them. Uh, It was really good footage that was shot. But uh, now it seems like those kinds of things could be easily removed with these new tools. So uh, onward and upward. I'd like to see how you use that. Uh, To be honest, I don't do a lot of video. Right. So for me, a lot of these applications are eh, once in a while, I'll play with it. But I could see how, I mean, with all the documentary work you do and all the stuff you've done with National Geographic and everybody that you work with, I mean, there's so many opportunities for you to use this kind of technology. I'm in the process of licensing some new work to another project that I can't talk about yet, but it's very exciting. Uh, and uh, and it'll it's stuff that I had shot in the past that I was hoping somebody would have a use for. And hurrah, all of this working <laughs> in obscurity, gathering a bunch of clips of stuff that somebody might need one day uh, and just filling up the massive hard drive array that I have here uh, has proven uh, a positive effort. So that's the way to do it. Keep your stuff. You never know when it's going to be used. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know if this is going to move the needle on NVIDIA stock at all, but um, uh, I might have a purchase or maybe I need to replace my Surface Pro because uh, it's like version three. And uh, they're, what, at version 7 now of that? Uh, and the Surface Book 3 has just come out, and it has NVIDIA GPUs in that. So I've been that, using the same MacBook since 2012. So, Well, but my <laughs> Actually, desktop is from 2013. So okay. uh, 2013, and my desktop's getting a bit long in the tooth. I keep upgrading little pieces here and there to keep it going along. I hope is it lasts a few more years. that the one with the liquid cooling inside? And all the oh, yeah. I, oh. I did it up to the nines when I built it. It's a dual Xeon. Uh, so at the time I built it, having uh, 24 cores, uh, 12 cores per CPU was just unheard of in a machine. And uh, unfortunately, all of the software from companies like Adobe, aside from Premiere and a few other things like uh, Zarene Stack or Helicon Focus, they'll use every core you've got. They're magic. Um, but Photoshop, Lightroom, meh, maybe four. If you're lucky and something super optimized, you'll see six cores being used. Uh, and so that whole 24 core beastly machine uh, for my daily driving work, eh, that was a, a poor choice. Now. It was a poor choice. Live um, and learn, Don. Live and learn. Now let's talk about poor choices in the next story. Um, <laughs> so uh, again, reported from F-Stoppers. Uh, OnePlus is to disable the controversial phone camera that could see through people's clothes. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I mean, it's a sensationalist, almost clickbaity title. Uh, basically, On One decided to add another fairly low-resolution camera uh, to uh, one of their latest phones, uh, their 8 Pro phone. Uh, which I thought was novel because they called it their color filter camera, which I'm not sure what filters were in there. But the one that struck to me very interesting uh, is infrared. I mean, I I love infrared photography and I've modified cameras for the purpose of infrared photography because it's a fun, different world. Um, And to have that just on your phone as an add on. Yeah, it's only five megapixels, but come on, you could have some fun with that. But that would be like the FLIR, wouldn't it? 
No, that 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 would be that's heat sinking. Like, uh, heat that would sensing. be uh, yeah, deep infrared. Uh, near infrared is where the visible spectrum cuts off at around seven hundred nanometers. Uh, that's the deepest reds that we can normally see with our own eyes. Infrared picks up from there, and usually infrared CMOS sensors are sensitive down to about nine hundred, maybe a thousand nanometers. But that sensitivity is so low, it's inconsequential. Beyond that, uh, you got nothing. And FLIR cameras are much much longer wavelength than that. So this is just outside of our visual spectrum. But the thing is, um, a lot of, uh, well, let's talk natural world for one. Um, uh, trees, anything that produces photosynthesis, so grass, leaves, whatever color they are, you've got a beautiful purple maple, it's still producing photosynthesis. And, and those leaves uh, will often reflect an abundance of infrared light. Not all of it, usually between 70 and 85%. And they'll glow quite brightly. Uh, whereas the sky will be quite dark and rivers and waters will become dark as well. And so mm. you get these really beautiful, surreal landscapes. It's fun to explore. But the thing about our vision is that it is limited, right? We see from uh, 400 nanometers to 700 nanometers. It's a very narrow window that all of our colors are comprised of. And people that are manufacturing clothing, hair dye, uh, the dye that goes into the fabric in your camera bag, etc., um, they all base their formulas on the visible spectrum. So if they absorb all of the visible spectrum, uh, then they appear black. That's great. But they're designed for that. They're not designed beyond those limits. So if you go beyond that, a lot of fabrics will actually reflect infrared light. They become lighter, sometimes in incredibly white. A lot of hair dye, by the way, this is a secret, uh, will, uh, will appear uh, as a bluish tint in a properly color-adjusted infrared image. And uh, no normal hair would do that. So you can tell if somebody has dyed their hair That's cool. and keep that information close to the vest. I mean, that you don't uh, only <laughs> share that in very polite company because you can really ruin somebody's day and they're going to blame <laughs> you. Um, but so if you have a shirt that is black or any color for that matter, uh, it's designed to work with the color that we see with our own eyes. It's often white in infrared means you might be able to see through it. Even it might be transparent. The dye might just do nothing. And that's why you can, in some instances, see through clothing because infrared light wasn't taken into account when the garment was manufactured. So it's not x-ray specs. It's not something that you would buy out of the back of a comic book and be disappointed. Um, it's, <laughs> it's just the fact that it's in an infrared camera. You can buy them. You can make them. You can, uh, Sony had an issue. Was this right? Uh, do you remember yep. this way back yep, when? The Sony oh. night vision. The yeah, Sony night, the night used, shot mode. It used infrared. I right? shot an entire wedding with a Sony video camera on eight millimeter. And when I watched it back, you can actually see the padding on the inside of the jackets. You can see the bra straps on the inside of the women's dresses. All of that was like, I was showing my wife. I was like, this is infrared. And there was talk about that. They changed how it worked. And same thing. You know, they find something like that and they, they make their changes. Well, what do you think though? Because if you bought this camera or this phone for this feature, right? And they're about to remove that feature uh, from. Well, they're not removing your... it. Well, they're they're, they're uh, not well. actually removing it. Okay, Hackers what are they doing? We'll be able to get it. Sure, they're, um, they're basically disabling it. Right, is what but, they say. Well, and and uh, Fritz uh, Asuro in the comments says it will only be temporarily uh, that they will only be temporarily disabling handsets in China using hydrogen OS, but not other markets with oxygen OS. Um, they will only uh, do try to fix it. They said, um, th but here's the thing: 
there's no fixing it. It's the fundamental properties of infrared, right? So it means you'll have to either do some crazy AI to image with a regular camera and see if something is being un uh, like being seen that shouldn't be seen and then canceling that out from the infrared image. That's a lot of AI work for such a tiny niche that no company, even Apple, I don't think would have the wherewithal to, to throw all the engineering muscle after. Hmm. Um, and so I think that might mean just disabling it from the regular software and hackers that want that feature back can add it back. That's but, what I'm thinking. But, but then I mean, again, okay. why do, why go through all the effort? You're not really seeing much, you know, just, just, just let it go. Yeah. I mean, just say, okay, well, uh, you know, like Steve jobs, you're holding it wrong. Um, uh, just <laughs> let it go. Just blow it off. It's just, it's not going to be something that is going to be a lasting repercussion. And yeah, you might make your, your next phone without that or with other, uh, uh limitations on how that technology works. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I was really happy to see this camera come out or this phone come out. In fact, but for I'm, your needs specifically, I mean, it would make sense. It would be a lot of fun, but I'm also shooting with the red hydrogen one shooting. I, I mean, I use it for 3D photos and I use it as my phone, but it's still on Android 8. It hasn't had security patches in a long time. I, please, nobody target me. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at getting a new device and I want something with a unique quality to it. Mm. And this was going to have that. It was going to uh, just uh, tickle the, 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 the geek inside of me a little bit and, and now not so much. So oh, that's too bad. Uh, I'm, and I'm now back to that curmudgeon again. So <laughs> I, I'm an older man than my age allows for. It's okay. Just download yeah. that app that lets you see through your hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. All right. Our good. final story. And this one I think is just a sign of the times, uh, whether it be 1995 or 2020 uh, from DP review, U.S. students are failing AP exams, uh, advanced placement exams, um, uh, due to the iPhone photos not being supported by their testing portal. Because, of course, Apple made this great transition away from the uh, the, the well-loved but long-in-the-tooth JPEG format to their default HEIC image format, which you don't have to shoot with. You can go in the settings and you can go back to JPEG or you can convert them to JPEGs using a number of applications. But it's factory uh, set that way when you get it. it exactly. Uh, and who goes in and mucks with settings that, you know, if... If it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Uh, And so according to a report from The Verge, high school students across the United States are failing their advanced placement exams due to the college board's online testing portal, not accepting photos captured in this default image format. Um, But the numbers are are somewhat staggering. Did you take a look at this, Brian? I didn't see the numbers. Well, what do you think about in general first then? Well, in general, I think it's just scary. I mean, we saw this happen back with the uh, the voting in Florida, online voting, fraud things. Things can be tampered with. Things can be changed. Um, this is a file format issue. It's a little different, but it still leads back to the whole, we are so dependent on this connectivity, this online um, godsend that we have, the internet, yeah, yeah, that we've completely gone away from anything that's tangible or... Uh, solid that we can say, here's my test. You know what I mean? So unless they know these things, and this really should have been talked about by the school board, you have to submit your files in this format. Please be aware, right? 
Right. I've run into this all the time when I, when I run photo, uh, photo reviews, I ask for people to give me a certain file and a certain file size so that everybody's are the same kind of standard and, yep, yep. and nobody knows how to do that kind of stuff. So to have automatically assume that all these students are just going to natively know about this file format, that should have been something that was notified in advance, but it just leads me back to the whole opening us up to loss and trouble and, um, issues. I mean, there's there's so many benefits to using the technology, but then again, all it takes is one big snafu. Yeah, and it's all well, down. And, and when I said staggering, I mean in the actual number of students, it's probably staggering. But percentage wise, they say uh, it's only uh, less than one percent. If it was one percent of students, um, but that's across the United States, right? Well, I that's mean, just the dumb students. They don't know the difference. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. Uh, no, no. And they say, you know, students can submit uh, in a in a tweet um, that yeah, you can um, change it to the uh, select most compatible setting uh, in iOS or resave the image, but you can't submit that format. It's like if you were ahead of the curve and you wanted to uh, adopt the PNG format and start throwing stuff on the internet in that new wonderful format, well, uh, no browser supported it for the first, I don't know, five, seven years um, before it then became a standard thing where you can expect that that format does exist. Uh, and there's lots of new image formats that are constantly being, uh, you know, introduced, especially for web use. Um, HEIC is just another one of them. I, I just I, I can't understand why it has big backers like Apple that uh, Microsoft doesn't just roll out proper support for this thing uh, back to every OS that's currently supported as just a line item in the monthly update. Just mm -hmm. throw it in there so that there's no compatibility issues. If you're writing your own third-party software to analyze this stuff, yes, that could be problematic. And uh, sometimes updating antiquated software can be an issue. Um, so... I, I don't know where I stand on that, but well, my, my I, only I just thought issue, it was silly. It is silly, but, but the, what's not silly is now all these students have to go and restudy and retake the tests and do all that again. Uh, it's just a waste of time. It's a waste of their energy, and it's it's not efficient. And that's well, and, and anybody that failed for this reason uh, should be able to just resubmit the existing stuff. Should like, be able to. I, I read further down though that they said that these students now have to restudy. Yeah, I know. And that's where I, I don't agree. I mean, you could just take, just modify your system where if an HE, uh, um, HEIC file comes in, then it goes into an audit pile. And somebody on the, uh, on the school board side or the government side goes in, batch converts them and sends them back to the main system. Wait a minute. Are you talking about somebody has to get paid by the government to do manual labor? Uh, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, yeah. In, that in, won't happen. in perfect social isolation, mind you, oh, uh, yes. this is something you can do from home. <laughs> You're right. You are right. About that. <laughs> um, there's a will, there's a way. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, that, that's the rundown of the stories. I thought that was, uh, relatively interesting. Sound off, uh, in the comments at photogeekweekly.com where you can find the, uh, the links to all of the stories that we talk about, uh, and the links to where you can find Brian online. Brian, where can you be found online? Uh, you can find me at daytripperphoto.com. That's my website for all the workshops I run. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Brian Weiss, uh, Daytripper on Facebook as well. We have our community over on MeWe. Don't know why we went to MeWe, but we did because Google Plus disappeared on us. Um, aside from that, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all over the place. Uh, my Instagram probably is where you'd see most of my work. And I have three accounts there. I know it's going to be kind of weird, but I have my uh, Briangle, the Briangle. That's me personally. 
I have Day Tripper Photo, and then I have my Weiss shot me as my wrestling photographer. Cool. Well, we'll put links to that in the show notes. Thank you. Um, uh, and uh, if you want to chat with Brian, you can go and try to buy something from Henry's uh, <laughs> and have questions about it. You'll either get Brian or John in Manitoba. Yes, that's right. So, uh, and, and if you get John, uh, hang up and call again and you, <laughs> you might get Brian, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, figuratively speaking, you'd be chatting on the, uh, on the, on the, yeah, website, just chatting. Yeah, we can do a video uh, chat though. So technically we can see each other if you really, all right, well, there you go. Uh, okay. So let's get into our picks of the week. Uh, Brian, what, why don't you go first? Sure. I've been doing a lot of high ISO photography. I've been really pushing the borders. I'm using the Nikon D uh, 780 right now. And 750 was always very good at high ISO. It was great. But, you know, when I shoot my wrestling and I'm using flash and I'm trying to bring up the backgrounds, I'm shooting 3,200, 6,400 ISO at times. And even with, you know, noise reduction in Lightroom or other sources, I've used uh, Nick D. Fine at one point to try and get rid of noise. All I ever really see is a very soft image when I'm done. It just smooths over the photo to get rid of the, na- the noise. So I've been using the Topaz D. Fine. Uh, Denoise, right. sorry, Topaz Denoise. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, Don, this is a godsend. It's changing how I shoot. It's changing how I look at my photos. The work is super straightforward. It does batch editing, which is amazing. Uh, now my process, instead of having to go through and open each image over at Nick or whatever I did and adjust, I basically just choose all the photos that I've edited, export them into this software, hit go and walk away for an hour. And it's, you know, time intensive. It's doing a lot of work there. And the quality is fantastic. I did a, a day the other day, um, Tuesday, I did a, a couple of photo walks from the backyard and I went live on Facebook and I took pictures and I had flashes set up and I was raising the ISO. I was shooting between 4,500 and 7,500 ISO. I shared those photos on Facebook and they are sharp as they need to be. They're perfect. They're clean, um, not just because Facebook. The photos themselves look great. Uh, but even when you upload to Facebook, well, you probably know if you upload an image. Well, you don't do a lot of uploading to Facebook. I do. I, I, I post lower resolution stuff to Facebook. Different because, reasons, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and, and so, but Facebook will compress stuff. Uh, they and run it, it through their worse. own algorithm because, uh, hey, they want to save money on storage. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does affect your image quality. And even with that, the photos are still looking in my opinion, excellent. So the Topaz Denoise software, I think it's a worthy investment. It's not a subscription. You buy it, you own it. It plugs into Lightroom, Photoshop, whatever you have, standalone even if you want it. And it's very straightforward. I, I never like saying anything's easy because easy is different for everybody. But yeah. it is extremely straightforward. And uh, I figured it out. So I'm sure everybody can. All right, we'll take a look for that. And, you know, as soon as you can uh, differentiate objects uh, from noise, uh, patterns from noise, um, that takes a bit of intelligence. You can't just do a wash of an algorithm to smooth things over. Um, then you get better results. I, I I don't know if I would necessarily go so far as to um, a lot of like the upscaling. Uh, this is where it comes into play. And, and Topaz, I believe, has their uh, artificial intelligence applied to or is... Was it Topaz or was it somebody else? Everybody's doing it these days. It's a buzzword. Um, <laughs> but the, when you're upscaling stuff, it'll do a great job, but it kind of uh, replaces certain things with things that it thinks should be there. 
And I think that might take it a bit far. But just taking out noise and doing that really well, uh, it used to be that I had used with a, a couple of images that I had to shoot very high ISO with. Um, uh, it was a DxO uh, had hmm. software that would only... Noise, noise Ninja, was that? Uh, no, I think that was something else. But, but DxO... Uh, had a, uh, it, it might have been, uh, it's been so long because other noise reduction programs have gotten better, but it would only accept um, uh, the uh, the raw files. It wouldn't accept a TIFF, wouldn't accept a JPEG. You had to supply it with a raw file and it worked its magic. Uh, and uh, I thought that was novel, although limiting because I would have to offload an image to that engine from a raw file where I do all of my other processing and other programs. Um, so it never really caught on for me in terms of a workflow scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're saying this is good, well, maybe people should check that out. It's worth a look. All right. And uh, my pick, uh, I, I'm being selfish here uh, with, with this pick because you can't get it yet. Um, <laughs> this uh, this was, uh, yeah, they, well, it, it'll be out in the next couple of months, uh, but it, it does come with at least a recommendation to look at. Um, this is the Liowa uh, 50 millimeter F2.8 CA Dreamer Macro 2X lens. And um, this is a, uh, it's a really tiny, I'm holding it in my hands here. It, it's, uh, it's fairly small overall compared to other macro lenses that I have. It's, uh, maybe a little bigger than the Leica 45 millimeter. It's about the same size, maybe a bit smaller than the, um, Olympus 60 millimeter, sort of in that range of size. Um, it, uh, has an automatic aperture control, uh, which is really handy, especially when you're stopping down on micro four thirds, uh, your viewfinder would get sluggish if you had to use a mechanical aperture that always stayed, uh, closed. Um, the cost is, uh, I think they said sub $400 us. Uh, and so that's going to be, you know, fairly reasonable for the cost of a lens, but the real, the real kicker here is, uh, is not the cost, is not uh, the aperture control and everything. It's the fact that just natively, it gets to two to one magnification, which is twice as close as the other two lenses that I mentioned, which are great lenses. The Leica 45 millimeter lens I used for a year. I love it. I still love it and I'll still use it. Um, but when you need to get closer than that for certain subjects, autofocus doesn't matter for you. Right. And so this lens doesn't autofocus. There's no autofocus mechanism. I don't think any of uh, Venus Optics lenses have autofocus. Um, but that two to one magnification on micro four thirds is the equivalent to four to one magnification on a full frame camera. And yeah, there's lots of caveats in terms of diffraction and how much you can actually resolve versus your depth of field. We're not going to get into that right here in this discussion. Uh, this is my pick of the week to look out for uh, because. It was pretty darn good. I've got a body of work that I shared in a, in a webinar with them that I will be sharing on social media soon. Just about a half dozen images that I shot around the house, just stuff that was blooming in the garden that turned out really well, some ultraviolet stuff, some water droplets. And uh, I was really impressed with the way it performed. The, it's not perfect. I mean, again, no autofocus. Uh, there's a bit of pincushion distortion, which I'm fine with. I'm not using this lens for architecture or uh, anything like that. If there's a bit of uh, a curve to things that are organic, well, they're already curved. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not afraid of that. Uh, and especially that stuff can be corrected in a in a finger snap in post processing. So, uh, but it was sharp, corner to corner, no chromatic aberration. It was just really a well done piece of kit. And this is a production lens, so I'm told. It's production 001 in terms of the serial number, although there's none printed on it, maybe because of that. <laughs> um, 
So I, I say, ha ha, I have this before you, um, <laughs> but I'll probably have to send it back. So, <laughs> but well, it was fun. It was fun to test. You say that's a 50 mil. It is. Yeah. So it's equivalent to about a 100 mil on a Canon full frame. And and that's where the sweet spot is for macro. I'd say anywhere mm-hmm. between 80 and 120. You know, the closer you get to that 100, the more of a sweet spot you're in. Now, uh, a lot of folks use that focal length for portrait even on a macro. Yeah. And and so <clears throat> now that I, that's what I was going to ask. Is that and, something with a two to one that actually is effective or are you seeing an eyelash? Well, well no, he should be seeing an eyelash. Just not. Yeah. But, but, but it, it can focus to infinity. And so you can do a portrait at any distance uh, with that uh, 100 millimeter equivalence. However, uh, your camera best be equipped with focus peaking because there is no autofocus right. here. Uh, and even then you might miss the mark or if things are moving quickly, I would not want to autofocus uh, or I, w- I would not want a manual focus with a macro lens for large subjects that are moving, like people dancing on a dance floor or whatever right. it is. I, I wouldn't say this is your wedding lens. Um, you know, you might put one of the other men- uh, mentioned lenses, the uh, Olympus or the Leica uh, 60 or 45 millimeter lenses might make a better portrait type macro lens than this one. Um, this is if you don't really care about that element. If focusing to infinity is nice, but it's not something that you're going to go to very often, it's the extension on the other end of things that's going to make a difference for you, which is why you might gravitate towards this. Lovely. Yeah, so that'd be awesome yeah. for bees, flowers, all the little pieces of dirt on the end of a flower that you see. Super, yeah, super the small. pollen inside. Yes. And, uh, awesome. you know, and, and there's some beautiful uh, nature abstracts that can be made with that kind of a lens. And, and I think cool. that not enough people have the ability to explore it because you would, you had to in the past have gone to like a Canon MPE 65 millimeter lens, which I own and I love. And That's now there's other alternatives. Canon. Yeah, there, there's other alternatives within that space now. Even Venus Optics makes their 2.5 to 5 x macro lens on a full frame basis um but there hasn't been a good walk around macro lens that could get you the equivalent of a 4x that still has infinity focus on the other side of it uh and, and would so, you use extension tubes on that to get in close i haven't actually tried to see how it handles extension tubes some micro four thirds lenses handle them exceptionally well others not so great um i just didn't find a need for the subjects around me right now but if they let me keep it for longer and i mean it'll be a lot longer i'll try it on snowflakes uh, in the winter time well, and at and that the point i've got we have these days you never know exactly well, 40 degrees yeah. now maybe you know May 9th, I shot flowers in the snow in my backyard. Yeah. And, and that's just ridiculous. That was just two weeks ago. So, Love it. Uh, yeah, it, hopefully we're back into the heat for a little while. Uh, let the garden grow and recuperate from the cold mm-hmm. and, uh, and we'll carry on. And you know, I've been spending a lot of time out there with my daughter, who's four years old and so curious about the ants and the worms and the bees. Um, and we just have a whole lot of fun. And sometimes I'm out there with my camera taking pictures with her and she always just wants to, uh, I, in fact, I, I want to get her, I want to give her like an old Canon rebel camera that I have kicking around and just seeing if she can figure out how to use that that's at cool. four. That's uh, a tall order, but she'll have fun just trying. Oh, sure. Yeah. And you won't have to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. But hey, if I could give her, I don't know if I want to give her my GX9. Um, but uh, if I did, then uh, that'd be a little bit easier for her to handle, I think. A little, a little smaller. 
Exactly. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of Photo Geek Weekly. Uh, again, if you have any comments, suggestions for stories, uh, uh, praise or complaints. Uh, in fact, I, I appreciate the complaints because it tells us how to do things better. Then please chime in in either the comments or send me an email. Um, you can find all the show notes again at photogeekweekly.com, which will also have all of the links to where you can find Brian Weiss uh, and all of the past episodes of this podcast. Thank you for listening. And it's time to stay in and shoot.